This is, this is, this is Collected Thoughts with Keyshawn Harper. The brainwashing was subtle when the signs of dysfunction were mostly beneath the surface. There were no sacrificial goats, wild sex romps, or witches' hats in the forest. We didn't wear some tie-dye clothing, live in a hippie commune, or chant songs in the streets. And that's the point, really. Some of the most insidious cults and cultures can appear normal from the outside. This quote came from a woman by the name of Flora Brown, who grew up as a member of the Worldwide Church of God. This cult-like church continuously prophesies catastrophe. Leaders would constantly preach that the apocalypse was growing near, and that only those who showed loyalty to the Worldwide Church of God would not only be saved, but they'd have a position of power in the New World Order. Flora stayed in the church for years and heard sermon after sermon talking about the apocalypse. But the great apocalypse never showed up. And with that, she began to become more suspicious. Suspicious enough to the point where one day, she found a book in a library detailing the characteristics of a cult. And it was then where she realized the gravity of the situation she was in. We often hear stories like this and naturally put ourselves in that situation. We think about how we would react if we would fall for the same lies. If we could rise against the cult. And most of the time when we answer this question in our head, we say yes. Yes, I'd be the one to rise against it all. Heck, I wouldn't even be in that situation in the first place. And if I gotta be honest, why would you think any differently? Most people strongly believe that they behave in a logical manner. I mean, that is one of the biggest problems facing humanity. Everyone believes that they're so right that if some people just believe what they believed, the world would be a better place, which often leads to the notion of making people believe what they believe. The point being that most of us believe that we could never be convinced into joining a cult, at least willingly. Being born into one has its own set of unique circumstances just because of the developmental, the social, and the financial disadvantages. But what if someone were conspiring right now to get you to join their cult? Would you be able to resist? Today, I want to talk to you about that very question and how, despite our own confidence in that answer, we are far more susceptible than we think. And some of us may have already joined the cult without realizing it. But first, let's get some of the formalities out of the way. What is a cult? Of course, I could read you a few definitions by different sources, but I believe it really narrows down to this. It's a small or large group of people who show devotion to a particular idea, thing, or person. The English word for cult comes from the Latin word cultus, which roughly translates to words like training or education. One could put together that cult is connected with group culture, which serves as training and education for people to adopt customs or beliefs. But for the sake of today's argument, we will leave the term cult to only refer to a group of people who show extreme devotion to a person, thing, or idea. Which leads to the next question, what is considered extreme? Like for some people, getting up early to go to the gym seems like pretty extreme devotion, but to others, it's just a routine. I think the distinction to make here is that this person, thing, or idea will now be the main focus of your life. Everything you do will be based on it. Everything you are is tied to that thing. So now that we have definitions to work with, why do people join cults? In the past couple years, we've witnessed the rise of QAnon supporters in the United States. Q 
QAnonymous, aka QAnon, is an anonymous far-right internet quote-unquote whistleblower that claims to have top-secret information about the true government or the deep state. Q, the figurehead of the movement, would post new information or Q-bombs that would claim that many of the politicians and celebrities we know today are part of a satanic organization of pedophiles who want to ruin democracy. And if that doesn't sound crazy enough, just remember this is the overarching story. The little Q-bombs that happen are way more crazy. For example, some of the Q-posts stated that the deaths of celebrities like Prince and the lead singer of Lincoln Park, Chester Bennington, were really assassinations. These assassinations were to prevent them from exposing child sex trafficking rings ran by Hillary Clinton. There were literally hundreds of different posts similar to this one, and after a while it began to create a following. What was once a fringe group of people opening these reports became a large force that is now even visible to mainstream media. This force made themselves known to everyone on January 6th when many QAnon and Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. Many people were told by Q that the elections were rigged by the deep state and that Trump would soon be reinstated as president once this truth was set free. But for some Q followers, they were tired of the deep state messing with their lives and they decided to fight back, leading to the chaos at the Capitol. The group itself is a rabbit hole and there are plenty of shows and podcasts dedicated to going down those holes. But no matter what you hear, you can surely ask yourself, how could anyone believe this, let alone join a cause like this? Well, I think the answer has layers. First layer being purpose. Humans are unique as to being the only animals out here wondering what the heck we're doing on this planet. I mean, last time I checked, we don't see dogs pondering the meaning behind chasing a ball or a cat wondering where all their nap time has been leading to. Like it or not, cults give people something to focus on. For example, the one we mentioned in the intro, people believed in that cult that the end of the world was approaching fast. And they believed that they could be the chosen ones, not only to survive, but to have a place of power. Just imagine, if you can get somebody to believe that this is an assured thing, then nothing else in life would matter. Nothing else would compare. Why would I even care about giving you all my money now if in a few years it's all going to be useless? You don't often hear cults emerging out of mundane beliefs because it's not enough to move people. Remember, before the cult, people have normal lives. They have people who know and people who care about them. For them to be able to leave all that behind, they must think that the idea, the person, or the thing is worth more than anything else around them. If you look at QAnon, they believe that they are receiving classified information about a corrupt system of pedophiles. And being the only people who get this information, they believe that they're the only ones that could bring this thing to an end. Having a mission with such grave stakes raises intrigue. If it's wrong, then you have nothing to lose. But if you're right, then you are credited to saving America. I want to talk to you about Jennifer. Jennifer always had a tough time establishing real connections with the women in her life. Her mother was an alcoholic who showed far more compassion for the bottle than for her daughter. This left a void in Jennifer's life that was permanently left open after her mom died of a drug overdose. Jennifer always looked to have friends or partnered to show her the love that she missed out on as a child. But just when things seemed to be working out, a person's true colors would always show leaving her alone once again. That is, until she heard of a women's group that promoted success, fulfillment, and community. All of a sudden, Jennifer found what she was looking for, 
an army of women supporting her and her goals. At first, the group seemed okay. She did wonder why it was led by a male, but her suspicions subsided when she was told that the group was just a branch of a bigger one. The men and women were separated in order to establish deeper connections without any other romantic feelings getting in the way. She was still hesitant, but the speaker was vibrant, charming, and promised all the things she's ever wanted. Jennifer found herself in more and more meetings, making great connections with other women. One day after a group hangout, she was pulled to the side by a senior member of the group. The member told Jennifer that she'd be a perfect candidate for an exclusive branch of the group called Domination Over Submission. It was designed to be a group of highly motivated women dedicated to overcoming the patriarchy of society. Naturally, Jennifer jumped at the chance to be a part of something like this. But unfortunately, she would find that her lifelong problem of people showing their true wicked colors would come back again. For this wasn't any ordinary women empowerment group. It was Nexium, a cult that led its followers to drugs, branding, and sex trafficking. Domination over submission, otherwise known as DAS, was a pipeline grooming program that resulted in the trafficking of women just like Jennifer. As you can see by this story, it wasn't some overarching narrative of saving the world that led Jennifer to Nexium. It wasn't a calling towards something great. It was loneliness. It was the sense of belonging that she felt with those women, that she had failed to receive anywhere else in life. If cults do anything, they prey on those who just need some people in their life to care about them. I'm sure if you took a survey for those who joined different organizations, having a sense of community was a driving factor as to why they joined. And that the family they made along the way is an even bigger factor as to why people don't leave when things get suspicious. You spend countless hours with the people in the cult. You learn their likes, their dislikes, their stories. And you begin to see that they are a lot like you. Maybe some lost important people in their lives, or never had any at all. But now, because of this new family you're a part of, you have people who will get you unlike any other. And that feeling is powerful. It can supersede any doubts you may have about the practices of the group. Finding a sense of purpose and belonging are two very powerful factors that can lure anyone into a cult. But there is one thing that is even more powerful than that. I'm talking about the driving force that motivates the purpose and keeps the family whole. This is the icing on the proverbial cake. I'm talking about a charismatic leader. Charles Manson, Jim Jones, Keith Rainier. All these men were somehow able to convince people not only to join their causes, but to fully embody them. Getting people to commit heinous acts of stealing, human trafficking, and murder. But how? What is it about these people that can make someone as well-adjusted, as reasonable as someone like you or me, join a cult? While there are a ton of different qualities that mark a quote-unquote successful cult leader, I want to focus on a few for time's sake. The first one I gave away in the beginning, but cult leaders are charismatic. The way they weave together not only their words, but the emotion and conviction is enough to make people want to run through bricks for them. They can paint such a vivid picture of what the world would look like under them, that not only do you want to see their vision become reality, you want to be an active participant to make that reality come true. People often fall in love with cult leaders. Heck, until his dying day, Charles Manson would get love letters from women all around the world. And with this ability to create such adoration for yourself, 
creates the ability to gain power. You see, these people are not only adept at making you like them, they also know how to use it. When you comply to their demands, when you fall in line with their views, they treat you better than most people have in your life. But when you go against the grain or question their authority, well then they become a different person. Then they will publicly shame you. They will make you out to be the villain. They will make your life so miserable that you beg for forgiveness. And when they feel as though you've learned your lesson, they can turn that charm right back on. They apologize to you for treating you so harshly, but in all fairness, you were the one that were out of line. You were the one who almost ruined the good thing that they built. They will then talk about how much they care about you and how it hurts them to treat you this way. But it must be done. Sounds kind of odd, right? Well, that mindset makes up another characteristic that all cult leaders have. Extreme narcissism. Remember, a cult is a group of people who show absolute devotion to a thing, idea, or person. Oftentimes, a cult leader will promise to their followers that they are the only one that could lead them to the promised land. And although it may seem like they're being devoted towards the outcome, in reality, the cult leader is just in a roundabout way making the people devoted to them. Because remember, a lot of the times when a cult leader turns on you, it's because you criticize them. They are the alpha and the omega of the group. They are the star of the show. Anything and anyone who threatens that are either publicly shamed or taken out the group altogether. This devotion to oneself is pivotal in a successful cult. I mean, you have to have such a high affinity for yourself if you're able to convince so many people to follow you to the ends of the earth. And let's be honest, a lot of these cult leaders know what they're saying is a lie. They know the end isn't near, but they still make people believe them just so that they can have a following. The final trait I want to point out about cult leaders is that they're highly adept at reading people. They know what types of followers they're looking for and how to find them. Earlier, we talked about the conditions a person must be in in order to be more susceptible into joining a cult. Cult leaders are able to sniff out those traits and exploit them. They may ask you about your friends or family, and based on your answers, they can establish if you have anyone close to you in your life, anyone that could pull you away from them. If you don't, they know which role that they can fill. They know exactly what buttons to push and when to put the charm on. They tell you exactly what you need to hear when you need to hear it. You can tell when you talk to group members that they often see the leader as sort of a mother or a father figure, or just that one person that treated them with kindness. The equation here is very simple. See a need, fill a need. So between the need for purpose, the sense of belonging, and the coercion of a charismatic leader, I think I've made it abundantly clear how someone could fall for a cult. But I have to be honest here. You see, the point of this episode was not really to talk about cults. Yes, I spent the majority of the time talking about them and their tactics. But what if I told you that these tactics were shared by a different type of person? What if I told you that everything we spoke of before applies to another type of cult? A smaller one, a cult of let's say two. What I'm saying is the circumstances that lead to someone joining a cult are the very same circumstances that lead to someone staying in an abusive relationship. Before you fight it, think about it. Just think about it. Let it simmer in your mind for a minute. When you strip down the two things at its core, 
what is the difference between being in an abusive relationship and being in a cult? Let's look at how both manifest. It begins with a victim, maybe someone that feels alone, somebody that wants companionship. They find someone or a group of people that helps them fill that void. Next, a charismatic leader or partner then makes the victim feel at ease, feels cared for. All of a sudden, they don't feel so alone. They have a purpose. They have a home. And when things are good, that home is great. But then when it's not, that home comes crumbling down. In both situations, what a person finds themselves in is a slow boiling pot. Maybe the victim sees a glimpse of what goes on behind the curtain. But by then, they're so emotionally invested that they forgive whatever may happen. The leader or the partner puts on the old charm and convinces them to stay. They then apologize and say it would never happen again. And if we're to be honest, some of these abusive partners do this to multiple people. So it may not just be a cult of two, but a cult of three, a cult of four. But these cult members don't know they're in the same thing. We established earlier that a cult shows extreme devotion to a person, idea, or thing. I can easily argue that being in an abusive relationship satisfies both of those conditions. When in love, we show devotion to the person we are with. We do all that we can to make that person happy. Their goals are our goals. And that devotion becomes extreme when we do all those things at the cost of our own health and our own happiness. I say all this not as a gotcha moment or trying to shame anyone who's been in an abusive relationship or a cult. These types of relationships happen every day. But I think one of the best defenses against being in an abusive relationship is being able to identify its traits. Far too often we believe in the mantra of, it can't happen to me. Perhaps that's because we only see the end product. We only see the aftermath of a mass suicide. We only see the group of people storming the Capitol. We only see the woman in the hospital after a beating. We see the headlines. And by observing only the headlines, we miss out on the tiny details in the story that would have foreshadowed this ending. And it's because of this, we create a false sense of confidence in being able to prevent that same fate from happening to us. I think that having so much blind confidence in our reasoning skills without truly reflecting on this process we talked about today, we run the risk of leaving ourselves wide open. My hope is that not only are you able to sympathize with those who are trapped in coats or abusive relationships, but you realize how easy it is to find yourself in that very situation. And although the proverbial boil is slow, it's still deadly. And maybe we can get out if we realize that the stove is on. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, take it easy. Hey, once again, thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please do us a favor and subscribe. And after that, give us a five-star review. Also, while you're at it, like the Collected Thoughts Facebook fan page. Or if you're more of an Instagram person, follow me, Keyshawn Harper, on Instagram. Thank you guys all for the love. And until next episode, take it easy.